It's good to be back and uh, looking forward to uh, preaching this text today. We're almost done with our letter to the Philippians by the Apostle Paul, who has exhorted us uh, to rejoice always and again rejoice. Uh, it's no different in our text coming up uh, this, more, this afternoon. We have, uh, again, the beginning of the text says, rejoice. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. This has been a theme that we have seen, that the Apostle Paul has been rejoicing over and over again in Jesus, for Jesus, and also for his friendship with this Philippian church. And this section, verses 10 to 20, are a section of friendship. They, they get at the heart of friendship. But in this personal letter of friendship and his thanking them for the gift sent through Epaphroditus, the Apostle Paul is also instructing them. He's talking to them about what it means to be content, to find your satisfaction in Christ, to realize that Christ provides all that we need. So that's what we're going to be looking at this afternoon. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 20. Hear God's word. You can follow along in the bulletin, in your Bibles, or on the screen. Philippians 4, verses 10 to 20. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how you brought you, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received the, from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for your word, and I just ask that you would uh, use me and my words, as weak as they might be, to bring glory to your name, and that our hearts might be filled with the joy of Christ, content and satisfied in him. Help us to hear your word this, morning, this afternoon. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Bah humbug. I know it's not Christmas. But those are the famous words of Ebenezer Scrooge in Charles Dickens' probably most famous work, A Christmas Carol. And if you've watched it or read it, you know that Scrooge, at the beginning of the story, was the definition of a miser. He was not just a discontented person, he was a malcontented person. 
He lacked compassion. He was unwilling to give to anyone, especially to those in need. You'll remember the story. People came to him asking for help, and he just declined. Now, Scrooge is a caricature of greed, of selfishness, of discontentment. And so I think it can be easy for us to, what's the word, kind of dismiss him as sort of over-the-top character. We can distance ourselves from him and say, we're not like that, not that kind of discontent. Yet I would suggest, I think, that as a people generally, as a human race, you would say, maybe as Americans in particular, that discontentment is very close to the surface of our lives for many of us. Maybe we aren't so on the nose like Ebenezer Scrooge about our dissatisfaction with life. Maybe we're somewhat generous in accord with social conventions. Or maybe we don't complain publicly about what we don't have or what we wish we had or how we wish life would go a different way. Yet I think, I could be wrong, but I know my own heart in this, that most of us, many of us, struggle with this issue of discontentment on some level. And it it bleeds out into our life. It bleeds out into how we view our God. It bleeds out into how we consider others and treat one another. It bleeds out into how we give. It bleeds into how we receive. And it bleeds into this idea that Paul has been pressing home for us to rejoice. When we are discontented, we often lack joy. In other words, maybe the best way to put this is, I think there's a bit of Scrooge in us. A part of us that is bah humbugging around, if you will, as we face the various and often difficult circumstances of our life. Here in Philippians 4, Paul, as he thanks the church for their gift to him, opens our eyes to what it means to be content in all circumstances, whether in plenty or in want. Paul says that he has learned how to abound. Notice it says in plenty or in want. I think there are a few things in this life more difficult than this. Just a few Jeremiah Burroughs, a Puritan, was right when he entitled a short little booklet. You can buy it. It's one of the Puritan paperbacks. Uh, He entitled it, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And I think he was right. It's a rare jewel. But it is a jewel. Yet, as we look at the text this afternoon, the difficulty is not so much conceptual, meaning I don't think it's difficult for us to understand what it means to be content. Paul is, I think, forthright in why we can have contentment in this life. I think our challenge, our difficulty, lies in the disordered affection of our hearts. We'll get into this. But contentment for the Christian, according to Paul, comes from seeing Christ and what is ours in Him. Here at the beginning, Paul begins by rejoicing, and he ends with a doxology. First, he rejoices in the the Philippians, and finally he ends with this wonderful doxology, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
And he does this. He rejoices and he glorifies God as he considers the Philippian church, that the gift that they had sent, and what he and that church together have in Jesus. And this is our hope as we look at this text this afternoon, that our hearts would be filled with joy and contentment in Jesus, and that that joy and contentment would spill over, spill out into our friendship and our generosity toward others and in our love for God. Friends, this is your call. Rejoice, give thanks, and give for you are rich in Jesus. Rejoice, give thanks, and give for you are rich in Jesus. I want us to consider this in three parts this afternoon. First, rejoice in Christ's gift of friendship. That's the It's been a theme we've seen in the book of Philippians. So I want us to consider this as a gift, friendship, Christian friendship as a gift. Second, there is abiding contentment in the giving and receiving as we are content in Christ. So there is an abiding contentment in giving and receiving as we are content in Christ. And finally, to God be the glory. Why? Because you all have what you need in Jesus. The three things. So first, rejoice in Christ's gift of friendship. I think Christian friendship is a unique gift from Jesus. Now, I want to be very cautious here. If you're here with us this afternoon and you are not a believer and I say that this is a unique gift, you might put up a red flag and say, are you saying I can't have friends? Not at all. There's all types of friendships that we can have. But I think Christian friendship is unique. I want to say that at at the outset. And at the heart of this section is Paul's friendship with the Philippian church. We've seen this friendship over and over again highlighted throughout this letter. You'll remember even at the beginning uh, of Philippians chapter 4, we saw these over-the-top loving kind of words from the Apostle Paul to the Philippians. He said, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Right? Paul is good friends with the Philippian church. In fact, you might even argue that this, you know, he loved, I'm sure, all the churches that he ministered to, but in particular, the Philippian church was close to his heart. But here in chapter 4, verse 10, the Paul once again highlights this friendship. He begins, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, it's kind of an interesting opening. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Now, if we were not careful in how we read this, um, at first blush, it doesn't seem actually all that friendly, especially if we were to read it this way. We might unintentionally, but we might be inclined to read it this way. I rejoice that you finally revived your concern for me. Where have you been, Philippian church? I'm in need. Why haven't you helped? That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying, but you have to understand, I think think we can misunderstand what he is saying just based on these words. 
And I think sometimes we read it this way because we have friends like this. Yeah? Mercenary friends, you might call them. Utilitarian friends. Friends who use us. Or maybe, on the other hand, you're one of those friends. It's not fun to feel as though your friendship is based only on what you offer. Aristotle identified three types of friendship. The first and the lowest form of friendship is this kind. The kind based on utility or pleasure. What do I get from you? And as long as we kind of mutually benefit from one another, for as long as that is, I'll be friends with you. And it's not a lasting or abiding friendship. The second is based on second level, if you will, Aristotle puts that as the lowest form of friendship. It's not a lasting friendship. It's utilitarian. The next level he would call uh, a friendship based on mutuality or commonality, meaning what do we share? And maybe it lasts a little longer, but it has limits as far as those commonalities go or for as long as they don't change, right? We'll be friends. But uh, Aristotle had a third level of friendship, you might say. And this third level, this was the highest form of friendship for Aristotle. It's based on virtue, based on some shared higher good. We both agree on these goods of life. And so those of us that share that common virtue can be good friends, maybe for life. It could be a lasting friendship. But I would argue even Aristotle's highest form of friendship is not of the same substance as Christian friendship. Because, and here's the, here's the way I would ask the question, if his highest form of friendship is the, the, the sharing of these virtues, these, these high ideals, if you will, what happens to that friendship when one of the friends does not uphold the virtue? What happens when a friend fails? I know experientially that as a friend, myself, to people, I often fail to measure up. And if it were not for the grace and forgiveness, those friendships would not last. And this is the gift of Christian friendship. Our friendships are not based in our ability to live up to a shared virtue that Aristotelian way of thinking about friendship. But our friendships are based in Christ, who is not only perfectly righteous and who lives up to the highest level of virtue, that set by the living God, but He is also faithful to us, who are unfaithful friends. This grace-based friendship is the foundation for our friendships here with one another. And it is a gift from God. And what a rich gift this is. What a rich gift that we have in Jesus. The tools to maintain and grow lasting friendships based in grace and forgiveness and forbearance and love. These are riches that we share together in Jesus. 
So as we come back to the text, here Paul is not mercenary in his friendship with the Philippian church. In fact, Paul finds deep contentment and joy in his friendship with them through Jesus. Notice here, it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. What is, the, what is Paul's joy in? Paul's joy is not that they had finally gotten around to helping him out. His joy is not in the gift that Epaphroditus sent, but his joy is in their joy. His joy is in the delight that they have in being able to help Paul because previously they had been unable to help him. And so as he receives the gift from Epaphroditus, he rejoices not because he gets a gift, in fact, he goes on to talk about how he doesn't really need the gift. Ultimately, he's content either way, but he's grateful for it. But his joy is in their joy. His joy is in their joy of helping and serving him. I'll come back to the topic of giving and receiving gifts in a moment. But for now, I just want us to notice that Paul's love and friendship for the Philippian church is expressed in his joy that they were able to give a gift. His joy was in their joy. And isn't that the nature of Christian friendship? The friendship between Paul and the Philippian church was based not in some abstract virtue that they shared together, but their friendship was based in their sharing in the gospel together, in their partnership together. The fact that Paul was rejoicing with them is part of the nature of Christian friendship, that we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. That we share in one another's suffering. And we do this because it is based in the friendship that Christ has with us who shared in our suffering and who in fact suffered for us. Paul and the Philippian church are together redeemed and forgiven sinners, bonded in Christ and sharers together in suffering. Notice here in verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. The gift that he received, Paul viewed it as them sharing in his trouble, in his imprisonment, in his suffering, they sacrificed as he was sacrificing for the sake of the gospel. Not rejoicing in the gift, but in the partnership in the gospel. Friends, do you find joy and contentment in your friendships with one another as sharers together in the gospel of grace? Remember that these friendships that we have amongst ourselves are a gift to you from Jesus. And this brings me to my second point. There is abiding contentment in giving and receiving gifts in Jesus. I find Christmas time both a very joyous time and yet a very stressful time on account of gift giving. I love giving gifts, but I also worry that I might miss the mark. Do you ever do that? Do you go around looking at all the shops thinking, oh, I don't know if this is the right gift. Will they like this gift? So that's part of the stress. Then the, part, the other part of the stress is, um, have I forgotten somebody? And you'll only know when you've, you've forgotten somebody when they give you a gift. 
right? And they've given that gift and you think, oh, I don't have a gift for them, what am I to do? There can be a lot of anxiety, I think, around giving and receiving gifts. Maybe some of you are never satisfied with the gifts given to you. I don't know, maybe you're one of those who just doesn't quite like the gifts that you're given. You're hard to please in that sense. Maybe some of you don't really like receiving gifts because then you feel obligated to return the favor. You're like, no, don't give me a gift because then I'll have to come and give you a gift back. Maybe some of you give and give and give and yet you get hurt because others don't reciprocate. Maybe you're on the other end of that. Maybe you love getting gifts, but you often forget to give them. You're not a gift giver. Anyway, there can be a lot of stress and discontentment surrounding gift giving and receiving. And there are two things I think Paul teaches us in terms of finding contentment. Because when we talk about giving and receiving gifts, what we're, what we're getting at is, are we a content people? And where is our contentment lie? And so he uses this gift as an opportunity, this gift he's received from the Philippian church, as an opportunity to talk about contentment. He goes on a little uh, aside, if you will, to talk about contentment. And I think there are two things he says, or at least, about giving and receiving gifts. First, giving and receiving gifts has nothing to do with reciprocity. Okay, that's point one that I want to, I want to talk about in giving and receiving gifts. Two, giving and receiving gifts has everything to do with reciprocity. All right. Now, I realize that those two statements are mutually exclusive and are contradictory. So, bear with me, all right? Bear with me for just a minute, and I'll, I'll take them in turn. First, giving and receiving gifts has nothing to do with reciprocity. First, what is reciprocity? <laughs> if that word is not familiar, uh, it's the word we use to like a reciprocation, a reciprocal. It's simply the idea that if someone gives me something, then I in turn give them something of approximately equal value. You know, this is the office gift giving, right? You have to have a you have to have a number. How much do we spend? Okay, we, this is our limit, and then that person always goes over, right? It's not equal. In the movie The Godfather, a man Bonacera comes to Don Corleone for justice for his daughter. If you've seen the movie, you remember the scene. Don Corleone notes that he had never came to him before that he doesn't come for friendship, but to take vengeance for his daughter. But Bonacera is a, is a desperate man. And he says to Don Corleone, the godfather, he says, Be my friend, godfather. And at that moment, Don Corleone famously says, and I'm not going to try to do the Marlon Brando thing. <laughs> Good. No, I can't do it. I'm not going to try. But he says, he says, Good. Someday, and that day may never come, I'll call upon you to do a service for me. But until that day, accept this justice as a gift on my daughter's wedding day. You remember the scene, right? It's a famous scene. This is Aristotle's lowest form of friendship, this mercenary form. I rub your back, you rub my back. Paul here in verses 10 to 13 goes out of his way to say that he does not need the gift. 
Did you notice that? He goes, he goes to great lengths. He says, you were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And he goes on to talk about that. And at first, to our ears, Paul seems a little ungrateful. Oh, thanks for the gift, but I really don't need it. You know, if you were to hand somebody a gift and you're like, oh, that's really nice, but I don't really need it. I've got everything I need. That would be kind of offensive. And it might seem at first blush that Paul sort of sounds like, I don't really need your gift. But that's not what he's saying. You have to understand the context for the Apostle Paul. There were, in that day, religious teachers that would go around and they would, they would share their wisdom and they would expect payment in return. They would ask for money. So, I will share all the wisdom of Rob Gray if you just give me X amount of dollars. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, was very clear. He would not take gifts. Now, obviously, he takes a gift here from the Philippians, so it's not a blanket statement. But he was very concerned that the people would understand, listen, the gospel is free. I work, I do my own, I take care of myself. He was a tent maker. He did what was necessary so that he could offer the gospel for free and it wouldn't be seen as mercenary. I'm just here to make a buck. We know that today there are preachers, many of whom are on TV, who do it to make a buck. Televangelists who quote-unquote, fleece their congregations. Paul was very clear that he wanted nothing to do with that. So Paul says, goes out of his way to say that he is not in it for the money, he's not in it for the gifts, but rather he finds his contentment. He finds contentment in any and all circumstances. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul is saying that because he is content, and we're going to look at the source of that contentment in a moment, but because he is content... Therefore, he doesn't, he's not out for worldly gain. He's not out for that reciprocity. I'll give you the gospel if you give me X. Giving and receiving gifts. Gifts is not about reciprocity. But notice Paul doesn't feel more or less obligated to the Philippians. In fact, his joy, as we noticed at the beginning, isn't in the gift, but in the joy that they have in being able to give the gift. Notice down here in verses 17 and 18, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases, that, that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. I've received, uh, I having received from Epaphroditus the gift that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And this brings us to the nub of the issue. Our ability to receive and give gifts graciously without a, I rub your back, 
do you rub my back mentality, is finding contentment in Jesus. There's a verse here in the very center. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. It is often taken out of context. Right? We take this verse and we post it uh, uh, you know, on our locker door to say, okay, I'm going to win this game. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This championship is mine. It's in the bag. Or I'm going to face some uh, challenge at work. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now, it's true that God provides for us our strength in all ways. He provides for us our very breath and life, our minds and everything that we have. But look at the context in which Paul is writing this. When he says these words, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. It is coming in the context about being content in plenty and in want. Being content in whatever circumstance that comes my way. Contentment begins with having a bigger view of Christ and His provision for us. I'm going to come back to that at the very end. But for now, I just want us to note that the root of our contentment and our ability to freely and graciously, without reciprocity, give and receive gifts starts with this idea of finding our satisfaction and contentment in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, at the very beginning of the sermon, I mentioned that our biggest problem is a misaligned affection. When the world and the stuff of the world becomes for us our satisfaction, what happens? We become more mercenary in our giving and receiving. When, when we see the world as our aim and all the stuff of the world and all the power of the world, when we see that as our aim, then the relationships that we have become mercenary. We start to think, well, if I just get close to so-and-so, then I'll get X, Y, and Z. So then I'll become their friend. And if I'm nice to them, maybe then I'll have an opportunity to get X, Y, or Z. But... As we become more satisfied in Christ and His provision for us, then the things of this world, as the hymn writer says, grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. All of a sudden, the stuff of the world starts to fade away, and what we see is Jesus. And what happens to the way that we give and receive? We give it with joy because it's not about the stuff, but it's about that relationship and friendship that we have with the other person. And it's about that partnership that we have in the gospel. Or if they're not a believer, it's about that joy of sharing the love that we have in Christ Jesus and the contentment that we share, we want to give to others. See, it changes the way that we think about gift-giving and receiving. And this brings me to this second idea. Giving and receiving gifts has everything to do with reciprocity. I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Notice Paul's language here in verses 17 and 18. I already read it, but he says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases 
to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. There is an urge in us as believers, a, a right urge, a right desire, that as we have received gifts from Christ, as we understand all the blessings that are ours, the salvation that we receive, that we desire to give thanks, and in, in essence, give because of the gifts that we've received. So as we give gifts, it isn't ultimately then about the person I'm giving it to, though there's that relational component, but there's a reciprocity in the sense that what we are saying is, Lord, you've given me all that I need. I want to give everything I have away. I want to share the blessing of Jesus with one another, with my friends. And so in that sense, there's a reciprocity, not with the person that I'm giving the gift to, but in the sense of thanksgiving to Jesus. Now, I want to be clear here. It isn't ultimately reciprocity. There is, of course, no way for us to pay even a, a, a micro bit back to the Lord Jesus. The gift that he gave is, is unmeasurable. And that shouldn't be our aim. It's not our aim to somehow make it up to the Lord. Lord, you've done all this for me. I'm going to make it up to you somehow. But nevertheless, there is a sense in which we respond to the gift of Jesus Christ by giving and receiving gifts with grace. Because Jesus has given his all for us. It's not truly reciprocal. But it is the ongoing heart of gratitude that moves us to give and to receive with grace in response to Jesus. Paul says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Yet this is the language of transaction. But of course, fruit in itself is what? It's a gift. So even as they give a gift through Epaphroditus to the Apostle Paul, and he rejoices at their giving of a gift. He, and he says, this is, this is a fruit. This is a fruit that increases to your credit. Of course, ultimately, to their credit, it's a fruit that is borne by the Holy Spirit. This, this heart of, of, of overwhelming generosity on the part of the Philippians is not ultimately the Philippians' work, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit in them. And so Paul rejoices and says, this is to your credit, but it's all to Jesus. All of it. Paul receives the payment and more, he says, but the payment is not from the Philippians per se, though he does thank them for the gift here. But it is from Christ, through the Philippians, and then back to Christ. And then back to Christ. Notice, and this is, this is the, the, the language here. It says here that he has received full payment and more. He's well supplied, having received the gift you sent. But what does it say right just following that? It says, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So even the gifts that we give in Christ freely, without any reciprocity, is a gift, but it's also a gift to the Lord. So lifting up of our thanks 
to the living God as we give and receive gifts. So when Paul received the gift from Epaphroditus, he said, this is a fragrant offering to the Lord. From him and to him. So what does this mean for us when we think about contentment? When we think about giving and receiving of gifts? First, contentment begins with filling our hearts and our minds with gratitude for Christ who provides all that we need. Second, we give not to receive from the one to whom we give, but rather to reflect the gifts that we have received in Christ. Our giving and receiving is a picture of the giving and receiving of Jesus. It is the fruit of faith. Third, we receive not with an eye toward the gift, but with joy in the heart for the giver who is reflecting Jesus. So when you think about the person who's given you a gift, it's easy to look at that little bauble, whatever it is, and be like, wow, this is so cool, or oh, that's not that cool, why'd you give me that? Rather, take your eyes off the gift, look at the giver, and see Jesus. Changes the way you receive a gift. All right, finally, in conclusion, to God be the glory. You have all that you need in Jesus. Paul ends here, he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is how we fill our minds with gratitude, how we become content. We start to look at Jesus more carefully. We start to think about what it is that we have received from Him. He was the King of glory who we read about in Philippians chapter 2 did not consider that great glory, that equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He made Himself nothing and He took on the form of man. He became a servant and He became willing to die even death on a cross. Why? So that unfaithful, selfish, glory-seeking, materialistic people like you and me might be saved. He willingly died on the cross that we, as sinners, might receive glory. Not of our own, but the glory that belongs to Jesus. The Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians will talk about us being sons, heirs, co-heirs with Christ. Receiving all the blessings of heaven. Eternal life. As we think and focus our mind and attention on that, no matter the circumstance we find ourselves in, whether it is plenty or in want. And by the way, Calvin, in reflecting on this passage, noted that it's much harder to find contentment in plenty than in want. And as American Christians, we have plenty and yet we have deep discontentment because our eyes are not fixed on Jesus who for the joy set before Him endured the cross and despised the shame. As Paul reflected on the Philippian gift and as Paul reflected on 
on Christ and all the provision that he had in Christ as Paul reflected on his own circumstances and how he was content because he knew that his, his whole being was wrapped up in Jesus, that for him to live was Christ and to die was gain. As he reflected on this, what does the Apostle Paul do at the end here? He opens up in doxology. He has no words to describe the gifts given to him in Jesus. And so he simply says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. May those be on our lips as we reflect on Jesus and as we, receivers of the greatest gift ever given, would be the generous gift givers and receivers to our friends and to our neighbors and to the lost as we share this gift, Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.